0: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast
1: with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Killian Kepsel. Uh, He's with a company called Caption. He's their CTO. Caption Health is the name of the company. The website is captionhealth.com, c-a-p-t-i-o-n health.com, and we're going to talk about um, an FDA-approved AI-guided ultrasound system. So, Killian, thanks for coming.
2: Thanks uh, for having me, and yeah, great, to, great to be here.
1: Yeah, I've had you know ultrasound a few times. I've you know my wife when she was pregnant, she had it. So I've seen the tech putting the goo on the person and you know moving the the ultrasound thing around and, and looking on the screen. So it looks like you're you're using AI to guide it. So tell me about what's this innovation look like? Like, how does it help and what does it work? What does it do?
2: So um, as you just described, so ultrasound is, is a very powerful tool to, to see what's going on in someone's body. And uh, it, today it requires an expert who is able to, to perform these scans to, to do the exam so specifically, if when you first put the, this goo, this gel on, and then put the probe on on the body, then you you see some two-dimensional slides through the body. Typically, typically it's two-dimensional, and then you have to move the probe around to find what you're actually looking for. So we we focus on cardiac ultrasound first. So there there are these specific slices through the heart that give you a lot of information about what's going on. So there's like one is called apical four chamber view. So you have to see all the four chambers in, in one slice. And um, you can imagine it's pretty difficult to get to this right spot. So first of all, you have to be between the ribs, right? You can't go through the bones with ultrasound. You have to be next to the lung. And once you hit the heart, you you see some slice, and, but then you have to understand what you're looking at and then move the probe around until you get the right image. And, that part is actually quite challenging to do. And we recognize this as the main bottleneck, why ultrasound isn't adopted in, in many, many more places. And so we essentially created an an AI algorithm that does exactly what the expert would do. So it, it sees what you're looking at on the image and then tells you exactly how you have to move it to get to the image that you're looking for. Once you're in the right spot, it, it automatically records the image and then moves on to the next image that you might want to get and, and, and record a whole study of ultrasound images.
1: Yeah. But how, then, how does it yeah. find the landmarks? Does it, like, if I'm, I'm imagining myself holding the wand yeah, doing it and I'm looking on the screen, would I see like colors that change as I get over the right spot or arrows, or how does it let me know where to go?
2: Oh yeah, that's a good question. And that's actually a big part of solving the problem, right? The first part is you have to train the AI that the AI knows where it should go. And then a big part of the problem is how you properly communicate that to a person because there, there are many dimensions, right? You can go up, down, left, right, and then angle it different direction and, and rotate it. Oh, okay. There's lots of degrees of freedom and um and we want to make it as easy. As possible so that a complete novice can use the device, right? So you don't want to have very complicated technical terms in there. So the way it works is so the main tool is what we call a quality meter. That's basically a bar that goes up and down and gives you some indication how close you are. It's like a warm, cold kind of signal. And essentially, as you move it, you recognize if you're getting closer or further away. And so if the bar goes high up, you're in the right direction. If you if it goes down, you're in the wrong direction. And that's the first step. And then we also have additional prescriptive guidance, which gives you instructions like move it a little bit further up or a little bit further down or go one rib space further down or rotate it clockwise and these kind of guidances that give you additional help.
1: Okay. So, like if I'm six four and 300 pounds versus mm-hmm. like, you know, like some Asian lady that's like five two and 110. Mm-hmm. Is there a series of registration marks when you begin the ultrasound that you have to run the machine through? Or how do you mm-hmm. get yeah. all this going and make sure it runs right?
2: You're right. I left out one step. So the, the very first thing the machine does, at it, it first it, it asks what, what kind of um, exam do you want to do, right? And it, let's say you, you say you want to have a cardiac exam and you want to have the following three, some three specific views. And then it starts out with showing you a landmark on, on a standardized like schematized body where you should put it and gives you instruction. For, for example, it would tell you, put it between the second and third rib next to the sternum. And then it shows you on the picture where it is. And that kind of instruction is fairly fairly general, independent of, of the person to start with. And then from there, it basically does everything based based on the imagery. And, and that's essentially what the, the expert does. So they, it's this feedback loop between the feedback you get visually and then the hand-eye coordination, how you how you move the probe in response to that.
1: So you tell it what you're going to look at. I'm going to look at, let's say, the heart or the lung mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And then it knows. And then, when, again, when you start the ultrasound, does it, does it tell you, to, does it have you go and find certain major structures or features first and then do the ultrasound? Or is it powerful no, enough that really... you don't have to do that?
2: you don't have to do that so essentially what what you're looking for for example if, if you have this four chamber view that i mentioned the important part is that you get the right slice through the heart depending on physical constitution and the size and weight and these things it might be the heart might be in a slightly different place you basically track it down with this guidance so you you put it in so so maybe one way to explain it, there's the first step is there's something that's called an ultrasound window, because as I explained, the ultrasound doesn't go to bo- through bone, it doesn't go through air very well. So you have to, f- there are only a small number of spots on the body where you can actually get a view towards the heart and it guides you through a series of those windows. And then from in this window, you just angle and rotate the probe around until you get the right slice of the heart. So basically, first step is you want to see it, right? If you if you look through bone, you just see you don't see anything. But then if you see if you have find the window, you see you start out with some little movement until you see something moving, uh, and then this means you have found a window. And then this quality meter starts going up, and then you follow smaller adjustments, often very fine adjustments to to get the right the right image.
1: So what do you do if someone's you know they have a strange morphology like? Um... I had my thyroid taken out and I get an mm-hmm. ultrasound on my neck. There's no thyroid there. So mm-hmm. it would be different from a normal ultrasound. So
2: would the yeah. system
1: be able to, could you put that in there and then the system accommodates?
2: Yeah. So th- um, that's a good point then, um, because even even the the heart, of course, looks looks different for, for different people. And then if you have certain conditions, uh, the heart might look different, right? You, you might have one ventricle, it's enlarged or or things like that, or the walls can be different thickness. And what the the key is here, that the way these uh, neural network or uh, deep learning algorithms work is that you rather than describing prescriptively to the algorithm what landmarks to look for, you just u- use a very large data set to train it to figure out in all these different cases where the right position is. And um, as long as you have the conditions you care about in your training data set. And then also have similar condition in your verification data set, you can make sure that it learned how to, how to deal with that. And so in our case, we had to make sure that independent of the size and the weight of the person, independent of certain heart conditions, the algorithm still works. Yeah. And, and you had a good example if if there's a big change because something was surgically removed, and if it's something that's very rare, it, it wouldn't be automatically and clear that the algorithm can deal with it by but things like that can be added to the algorithm. Uh, to to make it compatible with it
1: so in the hands of a of a trained person, how does this help and then in the hands of a of a novice, how would this help
2: so the as i said the the biggest our our vision is to democratize medical imaging and essentially to get it out to to many more people and and especially to to novices and into novices in the sense that they are not novice in the in terms of ultrasound right they can be specialists in in their own specialty you can have a for example a um cardio-oncologists who specialized in in cancer treatment, but they are typically not trained then to look at the heart with ultrasound. And this is our first focus. And for those people, it really makes a difference between not being able to acquire your own image or being able to do it, right? So before, if you're not trained, there's no way you find the right position with the probe. And you basically have to order an exam by a specialist, and uh, so that, that makes has the biggest impact. If you are a trained user, there are also still still benefits because, um, as I mentioned, this guidance meter automatically detects when you're in the right spots and then automatically records. You don't have to worry about holding the, once you have the spot, you're holding the probe in that right position and then with the other hand pressing the right button to record it. In fact, it, it just continuously records and once it has the right view, you, it just tells you it's done and you can move on. So there, I think there are some workflow improvements. That, that's one one part, and and the other really, really great advantage for let's say uh, in the US the, the person who is performing the ultrasound is is a sonographer in the cardiac ultrasound is one specialist, but then the person who is interpreting what the images is, is typically a cardiologist, and so Ooh. it's another expert. And so we we didn't stop at just the guidance part we then also add automatic measurements. And so now in the hands of someone, a sonographer or even a nurse, they can not only record an image, they can get an immediate feedback uh, about certain functions of the heart if they're if they're in the ordinary condition or if there's something wrong.
1: When ultrasound's done right now, is all the ultrasound kept as a movie? Or with your system are certain parts, like is everything kept? But certain parts are brought out as highlights that the cardiologist would look at mm-hmm. and the AI can choose them so that, you know, let's say normally it takes 15 minutes to look at. Maybe they can do it in a minute because they see mm-hmm. the proper
2: highlights. Exactly right. So there, there's, of course, lots and lots of different, infinitely many positions that you could have, but there, there's a fixed set of positions that are the standard views that people typically record. And they then, in some cases, for some views they record a short clip so two three heartbeats and then in other cases there there are also cases where you take a specific snapshot maybe when the heart is fully expanded or fully uh, contracted to do certain measurements and so in the the different types of ultrasound so in in the cardiology space if you have a professional exam you basically have 100 about 100 different views so there there might be 50 clips and 50 still frames and it takes actually quite a while to go through them. And in that setting, I think you're exactly right. The the software can can point out the clips where something looks suspicious and, and it can reorder them and can really present it to the reviewer to speed up the process. And in the in the point of care case, so basically when you take a quick exam, for example, in the emergency room, if someone has severe symptoms and you want to quickly figure out is that a problem with the heart or is it with the lung? then they often take only one or two or three quick views. And, and then again, it's known, depending on what you're looking for, you know which kind of views you want to look for. And you can use our device to acquire those. And then either you, they often these emergency physicians, they're able to recognize what's going on by themselves. Or if not, you can, once you have the images, you can electronically send them to a cardiologist over the system and the, the difficult part is the acquisition. Once you have the images, you can you can get help with experts.
1: Yeah, this is a really uh, cool and useful system I could see. You can also have a checklist too. If someone's going to look at a particular structure and they have to look at five different things, it would help remind them. They can pop up on the screen. You looked at number one and two. Now here's number three. And again, it can run them through a little checklist to make sure they miss nothing, you know?
2: Right, we have uh, something in in that uh, along that line already, but yeah, that's a really good point. When you typically there there are a limited number of things you're looking for in the heart. You you want to make sure that uh, there's a, the volume of blood is is correct. You don't have too much or too little. That there's some ways how you can detect this, and then you want to make sure that the pumping works as well. Right, that the ventricles are contracting properly. So we have an algorithm for that. And and then once you have that, you also want to make sure that the valves are properly opening and closing, and we're working on those algorithms. And for these different decisions, you have different views you want to look at. And as you mentioned, the algorithm could make sure that you have a good view of the different valves, for example, uh, in order to be sure you had you have a look at them and that they're working well. And we do this for the pumping function. So essentially, depending, you have this three-dimensional ventricle. And if you take one slice, you get a good idea if it's pumping well. But let's say if, you, if the tip of the ventricle, the apex, if it's not in your picture, it could be that the main part is pumping well, but at the apex, there could be uh, something that's not pumping well. And so we basically guide the user to additional views to get more information and then get a better estimate of the pumping function than if you just start out from, from just a single view. If you like this podcast, Please click the
1: link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You know, also, too, you know, if I'm looking at the heart and I see there's a murmur, that may change. And I say, oh, now I need these two additional views. So you can have a decision tree also in the algorithm. And depending on what is seen, it tells them, okay, now that you've noticed this feature, make sure to take these two additional views
2: yeah exactly and and this is really something I think that sets the us apart from how it was typically done, so essentially the traditional ultrasound and even even now that uh machine learning companies are going in the space the the first natural place to apply machine learning is on on the decision that you decide or is it healthy or uh, is there a disease right is it cancer or non cancer and it, it's super helpful to get guidance there on that side with AI but we really focus on changing the way people do the initial exam, and and that is really something that enables users that were not able at all to to use it before. And basically, that um, we received from the FDA, we we received this breakthrough device designation, which is a program that they apply to technologies that are they consider as very transformative. And so they early on recognized, oh, this really enables a completely new class of users. And it has, of course, a good side, but you also have to, you have higher risk, right? You, you now, you suddenly have people who are not used to doing ultrasounds to be able to do it. And you have to do a lot of validations. And we had to do a, a large multi-center trial to prove that what we are saying and thinking the algorithm does, that it was actually working in the hands of, of nurses in, in that case.
1: You could also anonymize or pseudonymize and build a library of the different views so, like, if you have left ventricle or all four and you have that picture from 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 people and you make libraries of it, when someone's doing an ultrasound, if they need to, they can call up a library of that particular shot and see, like, if, if what they're seeing doesn't really make sense or looks weird,
2: mm-hmm. maybe
1: they can pull up that library and see images of other people that have done ultrasounds on that particular feature and that would help guide them, too.
2: That's a good idea, and and especially I, I would imagine even if you are, even if you're doing exams on a fairly regular basis, especially for very rare conditions, there might be things that an uh, individual doesn't come across very often. And so, yeah, it, it, I think it's a great idea to have these cases available to help them diagnose it. This is more on the again more on the diagnostic side, and I think there there's an enormous things that uh, great things that you can build there. And we are we are working. We we see this as this pipeline. So there's the acquisition, and then you have some basic basic measurements and interpretations, and then in the end you do a diagnosis. And I think uh, what you mentioned specifically useful when you want to get to a final diagnosis. And we are we are working through this pipeline and have been more focused on the acquisition and interpretation side for now. But really, in the end, it's most useful if you can provide the guidance end-to-end all the way to uh, a diagnosis, what's actually going on?
1: Well, if you associate it with the other health data of the person, and as the ultrasound gets done, if the algorithm slots each image into a database, and again, you end up with 100,000 images of all the common things to look at in different people's hearts, that data can be used by researchers. It can be very valuable. there will be a huge, you know, if people wouldn't have to go and do that, when they're looking at other issues and problems that will all be there, so you can monetize this in that way. It'd be a great source of data for you guys. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. And then the, there's there are some databases where you have images from the the Echo Lab. So in, in in fact, we we needed to focus on an area where there is digital data, right? Because we needed it to train the to the algorithm to start with. But now that it can get into much more different settings, you probably come. Across different conditions and and so yeah I I think you're right it would be super helpful to provide those reference images to to the user.
1: So what stage is this at? Is it being used clinically right now or not yet?
2: Yeah yeah it it is and so we we originally we we planned to get it released this fall but in in the beginning of the year when the first wave of the pandemic hit it was pretty quickly it was clear that. In, in the context of COVID, that there are often heart conditions that are important to detect and to monitor. And it was also clear that it's very challenging, especially with uh, these infectious patients to to get the expert into all of these different isolation wards and, and again, the people. And so what we basically did is we enabled the, the nurses that take care of the patients in the isolation ward to acquire the images themselves. So, so they had already the patient contact and uh, in order to do that, we, we got this emergency use authorization from the FDA to be able to do that. And this is when we first started using it in the, in the real world, in the clinical context. And then uh, since then, we have deployed it now into hospitals commercially as well.
1: Would you actually have people do it on themselves or you just have a, a technician that was already put into the isolation ward that would do yeah. all of them and then come out?
2: Yeah, the latter. So I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm pretty excited about the idea that one day it could, patients could take, use these devices themselves, maybe even at home. But but currently, it's it's always healthcare providers. So it it could be the nurse that is taking care of the patients already in in has all this PPE and dressed up and uh, and then just does one more measurement using this ultrasound device. So the vision is that ultrasound, hopefully, one day will be more. Something like a additional vital sign, like, like you measure blood pressure, and, and not consider this procedure that you only perform in, in very rare occasions when people already have severe symptoms, which, which often is very late into whatever they are dealing with.
1: In a few years from now, Apple will probably buy you guys and put it in the iPhone. You could do like ultrasound from your iPhone or something, I bet.
2: Yes, it's actually... The what's really exciting is uh, there's basically two really exciting developments. One that can enable much broader use, and one is this AI guidance where uh, we are focused on. And the other development is that the the hardware is really becoming smaller and lower cost, and you can manufacture these transducers in in, in uh, with the technology that really reduces the cost. And one day you you they might be part of a of a smartphone the same way as. You today you have uh two, three cameras there because they they've gotten so cheap. That's absolutely absolutely something that would be it's it's theoretically possible and would be very exciting. Well,
1: very cool. So what's the best way for people to find out more about uh, caption health? You just go to the website or where should they go?
2: Yeah, I think the the website is is great. I think that we we added some information material, I think a couple of even little little videos and I think that's a good place to start.
1: Pretty good. Well, Killian, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a very good call.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description
1: to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
0: You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else?